David, thank you, Glenn. I add my welcome to that of Craig. It's good to be with you today. And yeah, just to reiterate, if you're feeling new uh, to our church, uh, we are having some people over from midday to about two o'clock. If you'd like to come over, we'd love to get to know you uh, a little bit better. It's just over the fence there. And um, yeah, it'll be a good time together. We are uh, today thinking about part three of this series uh, where we are exploring the question, what on earth are we doing? Uh, and a recent survey of Australian communities by the NCLS uh, group, uh, you might be familiar with this, they asked the question, which of any of the following spiritual practices appeal to you? I'm not sure how easy that is to read, but this is the answer. This is not a Christian uh, sample. So this is just anyone in the community. It's a sample of the spiritual practices. So 52%, I'm not sure if it's 52% because it doesn't add up to 100, so it adds up to more than 100, but anyway. 52% said uh, spending time in nature or outdoors is a, the, the spiritual practice that is appealing to them. 49% listening to music that moves me or lifts my spirit. Uh, 34% said prayer, meditation or mindfulness practices. 18% said attending religious services or services of worship. 16% uh, said religious or spiritual reading. And then 12% said watching or listening to religious spiritual talks, clips or podcasts. And then 9% attending small groups for spiritual or social support. 2% said other spiritual practice. And then 22% said none of the above. Now, I assume people could answer multiple things. That's where the percentages work. Now, if we were to shape our church, we're thinking about what on earth are we doing, right? So what on earth are we doing? We've done the research. What does the community want? What does Australians want when it comes to spirituality? Well, they want time in nature and outdoors, listen to music that moves them, all this kind of stuff. So if we were to do that as a church and kind of go, let's listen to the community, perhaps we would meet outdoors, right? We would have our services outdoors. Maybe we would listen to inspiring music, take extended time out for meditation, mindfulness and prayer. We could do that and that would probably appeal to a lot of people. In fact, it probably wouldn't exactly because I think the assumption behind this survey is most Australians uh, wish to practice their spirituality in private, I think is a lot of the assumption there for at least the, the top three answers there. That is, they, they, they're kind of, it's not just nature with a bunch of people, listening to music with a bunch of people, meditating with a bunch of people. And so, as, as a church, uh, in some ways, St Mark's is not really set up very well uh, for what our community is searching for with regards to spirituality and uh, spiritual practices. We meet regularly as a crowd, <laughs> indoors. <laughs> Uh, we don't really listen to music as much as we sing music together and we're led in prayer. We do have some moments of quietness and stillness in the service, but the bulk of our time uh, when we meet together is not stillness and quietness. Now, why is this? Is it because uh, we have been, we're a bit stuck in our ways as a church? Perhaps, probably that's true in some ways. Do we need to be more flexible? Again, probably we do. Have we got our priorities wrong? Well, I'm not convinced that we've got our priorities wrong. Now, we are, of course, right to engage with our community. In fact, I think we should always be more and more intentional about this, listening carefully to our family and our friends, particularly about the barriers that they might have to church and to faith and to trusting and following Jesus. That's really important. 
But there is a difference, isn't there, between what spiritual practices that the wider community might find appealing and attractive and what are the means by which God has given us to engage with him. You see the difference? So often what happens in in churches is that we can drift and try to work out, well, if we're going to do... what are, we, what are we on about? Well, we should, we should be just kind of engaging with whatever the current trends are. Now, again, there's, it's not saying there's no place for that. But as we seek to sharpen our convictions and as we start to look uh, at what it is that we're doing as a church, we need to listen to what God is actually saying are the means by which uh, we engage with him. And you could describe our goal as a church, which we've looked at over the last few weeks, from kind of two different perspectives. There's the kind of the cosmic perspective, and this is a bit wordy, and then there's the the on-the-ground perspective. So the cosmic perspective, see if you can memorise this. You probably can't. There you go. Our goal as a church is to see God glorified through glorifying his Son as God's people are rescued from the dominion of darkness... And transformed into the kingdom of God's son as God's people move towards the goal of history, a redeemed people gathered around the risen Christ. Now that's quite a big statement, right? And if you want to look back, that's kind of where we've covered over the last three weeks uh, on Sundays and in our small groups. We've seen that as a church we want to glorify God and not ourselves and God has shown us that is we glorify him not just by doing whatever we want to do, not just by going out and having a kayak, as great as that is, but we glorify God by glorifying his son as God's people are rescued from the dominion of darkness, transformed into the likeness of his son as we move towards that community being redeemed around the risen Christ. Now, from an on-the-ground perspective, here's a simple way of distilling all that down. Our goal as a church is to make and grow disciples or apprentices or L-platers of Jesus. Not of Taylor Swift, which we looked at last week, but of Jesus. Uh, And we've considered the words at the end of the Great Commission that, that go and make disciples of all nations. And there are plenty of other passages that we see in the scriptures which say similar things with different language. Colossians chapter 1 Uh, Paul talks about this goal like this. He says in chapter 1, verse 28, we proclaim him, that's Jesus, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everybody mature in Christ. So today we are breaking this question down even further. How are disciples made? How are disciples made? If we're called to make disciples... How are they made? It's a very important question for us to consider because Jesus does, in a sense, in his commission, he's not just saying God does the work, which of course he does. But in the words of the Great Commission, go and make disciples, there's an assumption that humans, Christians, people who follow Jesus, actually are involved in the making of disciples. And that's bizarre, isn't it, to think that we are actually involved in the making of disciples. So while it's important not to ignore what our community might find appealing in various spiritual practices, it is important to listen to Jesus, isn't it, about how disciples are to be made. Now I want to spend the rest of our time thinking today about how disciples are made from two different angles with two different 
frameworks. And I'm not a big person who's on, on about alliteration. You know, people like... But we've got alliteration today, so apologies if you don't like alliteration. I don't love alliteration. But it's helpful to remember these things. And so, uh, that, and full disclosure, I've, I've borrowed these from a very helpful book called The Vine Project. So the category headings uh, come from this. So if you'd like to uh, follow, I can get you a copy of that if you'd like to find out more about some of these things. They're the kind of category headings that we're using. And hopefully the alliteration will help you... Um, remember some of these things, the P's that um, Alison was mentioning earlier. So, we've got two frameworks, uh, and again, unlike uh, the, the sermons that we normally do where we work through a passage uh, bit by bit, we really are providing a very, very big picture set of headings, a little bit like an executive summary at the beginning of a long document, and I'm hoping these headings will help us to just to see some of the big picture I won't be providing an exhaustive biblical set of proofs or evidence behind each heading. We're really having a flyover. Uh, and it's, again, I know this is a bit unusual for a Sunday, so you're going to think you might feel like I haven't necessarily proved each point that I've made. Today. I'm hoping that over these next few weeks and through our year ahead as we think about this, these buckets, these headings that we're looking at will become a little bit clearer. So the first framework that we're going to think about are the ingredients for making disciples. And so just like a list of ingredients that you might have uh, before the kind of order of things is put in place, the ingredients here aren't so much the order of things that are important, but the key elements of making disciples when we look at the scriptures. And there, so there isn't really a, a clear order, but when I preached this sermon at the 8am service, I put one thing at the front, I put... What I'm about to say is the first thing, I put it second, and someone pulled me up at the door saying it should be first, so I thought, actually, you're probably right, it should be first. So, prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God, I put that second, but prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God is one of the key ingredients in making disciples. So, we pray knowing that God is at work, God changes hearts. And we pray is an expression of our trust and dependence on God and his spirit to be at work. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul speaks like this. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So you see how Paul is committing what he would love to see in his readings, Colossians, to God first in prayer. He's committing, this is God, he wants this to happen. He wants, he wants them to walk worthy of the Lord. He wants them to bear fruit. He wants them to grow. And how does he, what does he do with this? He prays, asking that God's spirit will be at work. So if we are to be making disciples and we miss the ingredient of prayer and depending on the Spirit of God, we have missed a very key ingredient in how God works and makes disciples. The second ingredient is the proclamation of God's Word. Now the proclamation of God's Word, we've kind of used the P's for the sake of alliteration, but it doesn't just mean the preacher. It doesn't just mean the person up here. It's the person who's sharing God's word. Now, if you think, if you're a Christian here today, uh, at some point in your life, 
even as a child, you would have heard more than once the God's word being shared to you. Uh, you wouldn't have come to know God just through a picture or an image or a, or a tune or a smell or something tactile. A message has been proclaimed to you. Could have been by your mum or your dad, by a friend over many, many years. And it's very important that we acknowledge this is the way that God has always worked through history. And it's no quirk of history that wherever the Christian gospel has gone around the world, biblical literacy has followed. So all these various parts of the world, when the gospel has come in, literacy has also been followed. Because God is a God of proclamation of word. It's no quirk of history that the first uh, document in, uh, written in Creole, which is the most spoken language by Indigenous Australians, was the Creole Bible. Because God is a God of word. He, he is a message. And that's significant because God is a God who reveals himself to us and so we don't have to search after God. God has revealed himself to us in a message. And it's an announcement of news, something that has been done for us. That's why it's a message. Right? If we just had a, a stop sign without the word stop, with just a red thing, and you just had to somehow know that that image meant stop, you would never actually stop, would you? Unless someone had explained to you, you actually, this is what it means. God is a God of word, and we engage with him as we share God's word. And it doesn't just happen here. It can, share, it can happen in the family, in the household. It can share in all different kinds of ways. Uh, one of the things I think sometimes we think about when we think about making disciples is we think it's all about evangelism and, 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 and preaching the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. And that's certainly a part of it. But growing mature disciples happens in a whole range of ways. So... Uh, in my context, so an a classic example is when, I'm, when my children come to me and, and they might find they are wrestling with something. And last year, there was a number of big things that happened in our community. A lot of big questions came. And those bedtime conversations where someone says, why do people have to die? Or what's happened to this person? Or whatever the question is. And we bring the truth of the gospel that Jesus has conquered death that he is raised again, that he, that he gives life to everyone who trusts in his name. We are making and maturing disciples, not by preaching, but by bringing God's word to people. So prayerful dependence on the spirit of God, proclamation of God's word. The third is that people are God's fellow workers. Now that might sound fairly obvious, uh, we, that might sound obvious, but we see there uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, isn't it interesting, it says here, you, not just a few people, are a royal priesthood. And it doesn't say you're a chosen race so that a few people 
can proclaim his praises, maybe the, the music leaders or the, the preachers and the Bible study leaders. No, you all can proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness. Now, it's interesting, you know, I, I used the example last week of, you know, the Taylor Swift disciples, the modern disciple movements uh, of Taylor Swift. And it's kind of like, it's not like you have to um, convince a Swifty to talk positively about Taylor Swift. Annoyingly, they just do it all the time, right? <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't mind. But you, they kind of say, you've got to hear this great music, and she's amazing, all this kind of stuff. There's that kind of, when you are on board and you worship the true and living King Jesus and you are, you are gripped by who he is and what he has done, you can't help but sing their praises. And so disciples are made as, we, as God's people, by God's spirit, are gripped and compelled by, and they can't help but sing his praises to those who don't know Jesus and to those who do. The fourth ingredient is persevering step by step. Now, this might sound like an odd one here, but sometimes we think, when we think about what we're doing as a church, we think, we kind of sometimes think very mechanically, and there's a danger in a series like this that we're just thinking mechanically, and I hope that's not the case. But we can, we can think sometimes that, okay, well, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried this, it's not working. And so, well, I'll give up and just go back to the status quo, what I'm used to. But that's not what we're called to. We are called to a life of perseverance. Not a life where there's no reflection on what we're doing and how we're doing it, but perseverance. It's a whole life journey. Paul says this to the Philippians in chapter 3. Not that I've already reached this goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. See that convicted language? Ripped by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by, Christ, by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature, that's kind of maturing, growing should think this way so it's having a long-term view this is not a sprint it's a marathon right there will be times as Alice was mentioning sometimes it feels like we go up and down up and down up and down but the perseverance is not because we're trusting in our efforts but because we know and trust the promises of God prayerful dependence on the spirit of God key ingredients for making disciples prayerful dependence on the spirit of God Proclamation of God's word, people being God's fellow workers, and persevering step by step. So you see if you can remember those four Ps, if any of your children come and ask you at morning tea. Proclamation of God's word, prayerful dependence on the spirit of God, people as God's fellow workers, and persevering step by step. Now they're the four key ingredients, I think, uh, and there might be others, but they're four ways to think broadly about the ingredients of making disciples, if that's the right word. God doing the work through his word, through his people, as they persevere step by step. Now, another way we're going to think about how disciples are made, which we're going to explore more over the coming weeks, and especially on our weekend away, we'll have a bit of time for this as well, 
is the pathway for making disciples. Now, this is a bit more logical, right? So this is a bit more thinking, you know, we think, okay, we're on about making disciples here at St. Mark's. How does that happen? What does that look like? I find it quite helpful to break down the elements, right? Sometimes, uh, sometimes we find if something's so big, we can just get so overwhelmed by it. But any big, complex thing is made, as we would know, you, breaking things down the elements make it a lot more easy to understand and easy to engage with, particularly as a church. So a pathway for making disciples, here's, a, again, a, a broad way of thinking about how we make and mature disciples of Jesus, right? And we've got four E's. Again, apologies for the alliteration if you find that frustrating, but hopefully it's helpful. Okay, so the first one, engage, right? Engagement, you can look at this from two perspectives, from the Christian person or the person who's not yet a Christian, right? So engagement, for someone to become a mature disciple of Jesus from the point where they are not a Christian... They need some level of contact and engagement with a Christian or a Christian community. There are many, many, many and increasingly more Australians who don't know any Christians. So the first step in terms of the way that we think about making disciples as a community is to create points of engagement. Now that could be in your personal life uh, through, through intentionally seeking to develop relationships with those who don't know Jesus. It could be with us as a church. But the purpose of that engagement is not just just to make friends with people who are not part of this church. That's a great thing to do, and that's a way that we can love our neighbours. We also, if we are truly loving our neighbours, we want to see an opportunity for God by his spirit to move these people that we know and engage with towards an opportunity, which is the second E, for evangelism. Now, that, again, has had has gone, gone through the different seasons of being a trendy word and a not particularly trendy word. Evangelism is different to what we some people might call just outreach as in a general sense. Evangelism is sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus, with the expectation and the call for people to respond in repentance and faith. So evangelism isn't just saying, um, if you're at work the next day, oh, I went to church yesterday, and you go, oh, look, I've evangelised. It doesn't really do anything, right? That's engagement. That's building engagement. It's building points of connection. But for someone actually to realise that they are forgiven, not by their, 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 their status with God is not based on their work, but God's work, they need to hear a message that the work has been done for them on the cross. Jesus has taken the penalty that they deserve. They need to hear that message somewhere. It doesn't have to be one sitting. But someone, they need to hear that message that it's not about their work and their effort. They also need to hear that Jesus offers forgiveness. And Jesus offers the opportunity for them to turn their life away from the things that they've been following and towards him in trust and faith. That's what we call evangelism. Now, that can happen in things like Alpha. It can happen here on Sundays and things like that. It can happen over a coffee. It can happen in, over a number of weeks. It can happen for a lot of children. It can happen over their first 10 years. They hear things about Jesus. They think, and at some point, they realise they need to accept God's forgiveness in Jesus. That's evangelism. 
then after somebody is evangelized, which is a very not politically correct word, but you know what I'm talking about, if someone's accepted the gospel, they've said, okay, I, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, they need then to be established in the faith. That is to learn what it means to follow, their, follow God with their whole life. What is, what is church about? What is prayer about? What, what, what kind of things does God call me to turn away from and turn towards? What does it mean to live the life that God has called me to live? What does it mean to be the person that God has called me to be? What does it mean to, to trust and have to turn away from things that I worship that, that have been taking me away from God and towards what God wants me to follow? What does it mean? What does it mean? They're the kind of questions of establish. And that is probably, I think, 80 or 90% of what we do here at church, for better or for worse, that's probably one of the things that we do a lot of as a church, is establishing people in the faith. The fourth, which is often neglected in churches, is what we would call equip. And equip is kind of what this whole series is about in a way, is helping people flip from thinking about uh, me and my faith journey, let's say, to okay, I trust Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Jesus gives life. Outside Jesus, everybody is lost, including myself. Outside Jesus, everyone is lost. And to truly love others is to get them to know Jesus and his love for them. A quip is when we flip that around and think, okay, how can I help somebody mature in Jesus? Now, that could be Someone who's not a Christian, someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. It could be like the example I gave before, a child, a husband, a wife, a parent, helping somebody else move towards maturity in Christ. It's not about a seniority, it's not a hierarchical thing. It's about every person who's a follower of Jesus having a concern for others about maturing in Jesus. That's how God has designed his people to be, having a one-another dimension. Now, we do one another things all the time in different ways. We might make meals for people, we show love, we show all these practical things, and they are wonderful expressions of the love that has been shown to us. But there is a little twist that we often find that we can miss. If I was to say to everybody here today, think of one other person that you are concerned for in their life, I think everyone would be able to think of somebody, right? I think if I was to say... Think of one other person you are concerned for their Christian walk and their Christian maturity. That's sometimes harder. Now, we probably do have people in that way. But if we were to think, in what, who are the people I am praying for will mature in Christ, whether they're not a believer or they are? That's equipping. And we can learn how to do that formally and informally. But it's kind of like that penny drop when we move from thinking about our own Christian walk, and sometimes in, in humility we think, oh, I'm not a super Christian, I just have to get myself together. That's actually not how the gospel works. If it's all God and he gets us to be his fellow workers, then it's not about pride or arrogance to see other people growing as followers of Jesus. So then, how are we to make disciples? Are we going to, as the graph suggests, 
spend more time in nature and outdoors or listen to music that moves and inspires us or spend time in meditation or mindfulness practices, whatever they are, we need to listen to Jesus on his terms. We make disciples on his terms through the proclamation of God's word by the people of God persevering in prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God. Now, that's a lot to kind of get your head around. So in its most basic, here's the way you could take it away for today. How do we make disciples? Well, help somebody else take their next step towards maturity in Christ. So what would it look like for your husband or your wife to trust in Jesus more this week? What would it look like for your child or your parent to trust in Jesus more this week? Here's something awkward. What would it look like for the person sitting next to you, sorry about that everyone, to trust in Jesus more this week? What would it look like for your next door neighbour to trust Jesus more this week? It would look very different for different people in different circumstances. But making disciples is having a mindset of seeing, as Paul says, everyone maturing in Christ. And we do this together. God has designed us to do this together, to grow together. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, the fact that you are working towards bringing people to know you trust you, to worship your son, to glorify you forever. And we thank you that you have given us the privilege of being your fellow workers, of being people who can make disciples as we share your promises, your truth, your good news, your word with others, as we seek to love others in perseverance as we seek to love others by helping them see and helping ourselves see that life is found in your son. We ask you'll help us to build this culture here at St Mark's even more, that we will have a love for one another by a concern for one another's maturity in Christ Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.